0: Lord, we have described the gospel already today as a feast, a feast. Is it really true that the gospel is a feast? Lord, you can make us hungry for spiritual things, and we pray you'd help us because we hunger for many, many things. And one of the many things that we, uh, well, we hunger for so many things, and then we finally realize that. What we hunger for is what you and you alone can give us. So I thank you, Father, that you can show us how rich the feasting really is in in the news that Jesus is our King. So help me, Lord, help me be unafraid of my weaknesses. Help me be unafraid to, to tell people about the importance of the text and the king who is over our lives we love you help us in Jesus name amen all right we've been in a series called uh, deeper grace for what matters and we are on a we are in a great passage of scripture wow uh, I don't want to leave this passage of scripture uh, but we will keep moving through 2nd Corinthians Uh, The Apostle Paul and the Corinthians have a strained relationship. The Corinthians don't want Paul to be their apostles anymore. They have found some apostles of their own. Paul is concerned for them. Paul describes this as a fatherly concern. You have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. Fathers who care for you in a way that only fathers can or should. we're looking at an amazing text now it was it's bolded on your scripture page that Bill read that bold section is the sermon page or the sermon text. so we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15 in the time we have uh, your heart is Paul Tripp calls your heart the steering wheel of your life. And we often think of the heart as the the organ that is pumping blood. In the Bible, the, the heart, the heart is where you're making choices, where you're evaluating, you're choosing, you're believing. And your heart is like mine. It moves very, very fast. It is rapid. It is assessing, interpreting, deciding, moving. There is one thing that's true about the heart. It is never neutral. Look at the ministry of Jesus as he walked this earth. He encountered not just people, but people's hearts. And they were the hearts were active, interacting with what they saw. Perhaps they saw a miracle. Perhaps they heard some amazing teaching. But the heart interacted. The heart, the heart was responding. Now, as, as we look at what's going on in 2 Corinthians, the, Paul is in sometimes direct ways and sometimes indirect ways, he's addressing the heart of the Corinthians. The Bible was written to them, right? Second Corinthians was written to them, but for us. That's very important to keep that in mind. So we're watching, what does this mean for the original audience? And then what are the implications for me? So in a sense, as we read this and and we hear about it, we're overhearing it. And God in his faithfulness to, the, to Scripture is always using Scripture, and God is, God is kindly addressing the steering wheel, steering wheel of our lives. Now, it's all happening fast. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean by the heart moving quickly and fast. There are beliefs and interpretations and commitments always working in the heart, Beliefs, interpretations, and commitments—we carry these with us from our childhood, from our teenage years, from our college years if we went to college. These beliefs, interpretations, the narrative of our culture, the cultural narrative, the myths of our culture—these are we're we're interpreting our lives, and our heart is 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 believing and interpreting and commit and making commitments. For instance, here's a husband and a wife scenario. This comes from a book called the. the dynamic heart in daily life. <laughs> a Christian counselor. Uh, uh, his name. Uh, his name is Jeremy Pierre, and he-, he writes this. He says this. My wife thinks I'm irresponsible, and that she's better than me. Imagine a husband thinking that. All right, hang on. This is a husband's thought. Now that's belief, right? My husband. My wife thinks I'm irresponsible, and she's better than me. A husband thinking that way. That's a belief. And then this moves to desire. He says, I want respect as I define it. I want to be respected. He says, I want respect. And then this moves from belief, desire, and then how quickly, quickly, quickly. This moves quickly to commitment. I'm committed to this respect quest. I should get what I want. That's the commitment. I should get what I want. Corinthians, what's this? What do we hang around the Apostle Paul for? Let's get some apostles we want. Come on, let's get some Greek styled uh, rhetorical professionals. Let's get some. Let's get some people we want we, that, that we esteem. Some some people that have a resume we want. What is this? And so this desire has moved quickly in their heart, and they're willing. The one who planted the church at Corinth, thank you, Paul. We've matured enough. Thank you. They've moved to a commitment. The husband says, "I should really get what I want." That's the commitment. I should really get what I want. Then he moves to an interpretation. His wife has asked, "Why is there, why is there, uh, why has the the, the bank account dropped so much?" She's asking a question around the kitchen table. Why has the bank account dropped so much? Now there's he has a commitment to what? I want to be respected. And so now there's going to be an interpretation. And what is that comment? The wife, it's nice. It's good that a wife would have, well, what's going on with our bank account? That's a good question. The husband is now overly sensitive. He's offended, first of all, what his heart wants, to be respected, right? My wife is criticizing me. I'm interpreting her simple statement of course he doesn't think it's a simple statement it's just a it's a it's an interpretive uh, it's an evaluation of him as a person she thinks he's better than me do you see how quickly the, do you see how quickly the heart's moving the heart is moving very very fast now he's his it turns to this desire to be respected and he's not being respected turns into feelings he has feelings of anger these feelings motivate the choices of his heart now suddenly there's yelling there's insulting there's threatening what's going on Around the kitchen table, a simple question about the bank account. Do you see that? That arose out of the steering wheel of the of the of the person's life, where we choose, right? This, that scenario, again, borrowed from a Christian counselor. This is what's going on in Corinth. The Corinthians' heart is drifting. And Paul knows it. They're drifting from the gospel. They're drifting from the cross. And Paul knows it. It What's fascinating about this passage is, I mean, just if you would just go home and just reflect on this, put this on your refrigerator, put a magnet on it, take a look at it. Notice the layering of thought. Notice how quickly he moves. One little phrase you could spend not only a sermon but a month on. Spend time looking at what he's saying to them. Verse 13 Starts off with this remar- remarkable statement: "It is written, I believe; therefore, I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe, and therefore speak." What, how is that connected to what's gone on before? I'll unpack that in just a moment. We're going to be looking at uh, just by way of an outline, very quickly, what is the spirit of faith in verse thirteen, and then we're going to be looking about how does it all? What does it mean to think? backwards from the future to my present life. That's what's going on in verse 14. And then we're going to ask this question, what does it look like when such thinking from the future back into my life, what does it look like when that is done well? What does it look like when that is done well? So let's look at this first verse 13. Verse 13. Now, verse 13 and 14 are kind of wedded together very tightly. And so... Uh, You could probably just preach on them together, but I want to take a moment and look at this, look at how Paul talks in verse 13. Uh, He says, we have the same spirit of faith. Do you see that there? And then it says, as it is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. All right, Paul is quoting Psalm 116 and what he's doing is he's 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 quoting someone who's been in a near death experience we don't know who wrote psalm 116 but paul is quoting psalm 116 and here's the here's what's happening the author of psalm 116 is saying oh lord you're amazing because you delivered me i was in the depth of despair and you rescued me and you, and then the, there's in Psalm 116, there's all kinds of promises. I will declare your goodness. I will speak. Uh, when, the, when the people assemble in the temple, I'll be there. You can count on me. I have an irresistible desire to praise God. So here's what's happening. The near-death experience of the person in Psalm 116 back in the Old Testament, Paul's saying, uh, that's what it's like to be an apostle, <laughs> Everywhere everywhere we go, we have a near-death experience. That's just what what ministry is about. That's what Christian leadership is about. And so Paul says, what we're doing is in keeping with the spirit in which God has always been working in his people. So whenever anyone in the Old Testament was afflicted and they experienced God's deliverance, that's the spirit of faith, right? So Paul is saying, you know what we're doing as, apostle, as an apostle, an what I'm doing as an apostle, and those who work with me, what we're doing? We're, we're encountering affliction and difficulty and hardship, but we're living in resurrection power. And it's so good, this resurrection power, that we are not silent about it even in the face of hardships and difficulties. And so it is an attitude of the heart. What is the spirit of faith? It is an attitude of the heart that believers in the Old Testament and the New, that could be described as an impulse of the heart. It leaps out of the heart. You remember those scenes with John and Peter running to the to the, to the empty tomb. Do you remember that sense of excitement, that sense of, of just joy overcoming them and they're running? That's that spirit of faith leaping out of them. It's sort of the end of yourself, joy. God met me right when I was most desperate. And here's one of the truths that's going on is... Paul is addressing essentially um, the heart that is always sort of unaffected or needs to be renewed. Paul is saying in spiritual leadership and for the Christian, there must be an understanding of the resurrection infiltrating and influencing and infusing power in our lives. And what's very interesting is this. Paul will not stop speaking, teaching, mentoring, discipling, because this belief and speech is connected. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but and I, is and this happens all the time when you encounter joy when you encounter a fantastic sunset, when you encounter an amazing buffet in Waikiki, uh, when you encounter something joyful and amazing, you will start talking to total strangers. Oh, yeah, i got to try the prime. Have you tried the prime rib? No, seriously, the prime right there. No, don't walk past it. No, you got to have that. Now, that would be me. You, who are you? I, well, trust me, right there. You need that. You know, that that's me. I'll do that. But when the heart is overjoyed, you talk. It's it's just how we're wired. This is Jonathan Edwards spoke on this and wrote on this. So Paul's saying this: what we're doing is is what God always does in hearts. And when he when does he do it? He does it at the point when you've lost all your strength. He intercedes, he intersects with your life right at that moment. I know, it's almost as if Paul's saying, I know you want some sort of Greek power, whatever that means. I know you want some sense of glory, whatever that is. What you need is a, is a resurrected Savior Infusing resurrection joy into the heart of your spiritual leaders. That's the implication. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's belief doctrine, and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. There's some remarkable connection between what's happening in us by way of belief and the words we are willing to stand by and to say, this is my identity, this is what, this is what it means that Christ rose from the dead. I cannot remain silent about it. So that's, that's, the, that's the spirit of faith. Paul's essentially saying to the Corinthians, where does this power come from, Paul? Why are you so, so ruggedly determined to stay with us This is what's going on. What Paul's saying we're we're connected with the spirit of faith. Now, let's ask this question. What does it mean to think or or believe backwards from the future to my present life? Look at verse 14. Because we know, there's a direct connection between these two uh, verses. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Now, that English is a little bit wooden there, but I want you to notice what a strange sort of answer to criticism. Uh, Think about this. The next time you're criticized, uh, would you ever think in your heart, well, I'm going to rise from the dead. Well, how does that connect, right? At work, someone just is just just telling you that you're the worst officer in the military. You're just a, you're just, what are you doing here? And just, just this whole thing. Now, what, what would you do inside your heart? What would you do? Paul's receiving a massive criticism from the Corinthians. You can't get any bigger than, can you no longer be our apostle? You can't get any bigger than that, I don't think except maybe trying to hurt him. So what would would fuel, what would strengthen the Apostle Paul? He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. What's he doing? He's this resurrection at the end of the age is affecting his life now. It's moved right into his cubicle, if he had a cubicle. It's moved right into his desk. It's right into his lunch hour. It's right into that kitchen table at home. Because we know that the one who rose from the dead will join us with you at the end of the age. That's why, that's why we're hanging in there with you. That's why I can hang with your criticism. I am fully accepted by the resurrected king. And this is in his his consciousness. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing. Now, it's not just some general goodness of God. You know how people talk, you know. Well, you know, just grin and bear it. Work hard. You'll get the reward, you know. Discipline yourself. Good things will work out, you know, right? Kind of this general, yeah, kind of a fortune cookie thing. Oh, good things will work out. Not at all. Paul's emotional life was connecting, not perfectly, but connecting with the resurrection and the hope of glory. There's a call upon us, brothers and sisters, a big call upon us. When your life is challenged, when you receive criticism, when your plans don't go right, when something falls apart, what happens to you? Paul's dealing with a potential disruption in a church plant. What happens to your emotions? What's going on here is a connection between Paul's emotional life and the resurrection and there's a call upon us not just spiritual leaders not just apostles but for all of us there is a sure and certain future coming now if you're not a believer here, so glad you're here. This is great. Central to the New Testament is Jesus rising from the dead. The documents are right here. And you could, if you want to call this evidence, that's fine. This is testimony. You could show up in court and you have reliable witnesses who gave their lives for this testimony, who claim they saw him rise from the dead. And here you have the Apostle Paul connecting this risen Savior with practical life. Essentially, what we say, what we're saying as Christians is this. True life is found. True life is found in the life Jesus gives us. Now, do you live as one who's been invited and has a secure seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You ever go out to a fancy dinner where you've been invited to some fancy occasion? It's always nice to see your name tag there, isn't it? Right? It's so nice. You feel welcomed. Someone remembered me. You don't feel awkward. I belong in this table right here. It feels good, right, that moment when you have a sense of where you belong the greatest event in world history you by faith are invited to it how much weight can that have in your heart around the kitchen table in the cubicle as you drive how much weight can that have think about the people who are gathering is it minneapolis the super bowl this right think about the people just anticipating they're just they're just on the edge of their seat even right now for next sunday it's it's shaping shaping everything. They can't, can't wait for that athletic event. We see it all the time that future events shape the heart, don't they? Future events. I came across a blogger, a Star Wars blogger. Now, I know I potentially offend some Star Wars people here if I don't speak really well of Star Wars. Um, Star Wars blogger said this. Um, In 1999, well, this is a little history, she was part of a group of fans who spent six weeks camping out in line for Star Wars, The Phantom Menace. And she writes about seeing the first Star Wars installment with her father when she was just a young girl. And she says this, When I fell, I fell hard. I fell true. I fell in love. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I was born on the day that I saw Star Wars. How about that? You think the heart doesn't want to find some something to glory in, right? Now, imagine this person... Would somehow get to know George Lucas himself. I know he's not involved with the movies anymore, but imagine that George Lucas would have them over and begin to tell them about the next installment of the movie, the next thing that's going to happen. Imagine someone who'd spent six weeks on a cement sidewalk, and George Lucas is saying, Oh, wait till you see what's coming up. What are we doing as Christians? We're waiting for the next installment and oh is it going to be marvelous you see paul can't stop thinking about the next installment you see now 6 weeks on a sidewalk is nothing compared to what paul went through and he wants to let people know about the next installment of jesus right now what's the most what's the most significant thing for you what are you waiting for What's the next installment in your life? What's, what's enlarging your heart right now? There's got to be something. Are you working the future back into your heart? That's what we're called to do in verse 14. Paul says, hey, you know what? We're all, it's, the resurrection is real. The resurrection is going to bring us all together. And he's saying, this is what animates me. Some of us do not f- esteem how desperate we were before the grace of God arrived. We just don't, don't esteem it that much. We were facing death with no hope. And the best way for you to be renewed is to say, Oh, Father, I have I have found something else, some other installment to rule my heart. We were facing death with no hope. Even as a Christian, your sense of true desperation for God to intervene in your life is not felt By you. Do believers say? Do you say today, when I fell, I fell hard. I fell true, and I fell in love. Now, let's ask this next question: What's this? Not only, not only, what is the spirit of faith, or not only what does it look like, but what does it look like when it's done well? When you're thinking about the future into your heart now, what does it look like when that is done well? Verse 15 gives us some indication. Look at verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to the overflow to the glory of God. What does it look like when you are thinking well into your heart what the future holds for you? What does it look like? How do you know it's happening? First of all, service. Look at that little phrase. For it is all for your sake. Do you see that there? Very beginning of verse 15. It is all for your sake. What's the all? all? All this affliction. All this struggle. All this being delivered over to death. Now, if you grow in this understanding. If I grow in this understanding, you mean I'm so secure in Jesus, the resurrection is mine, I've got a seat at the banquet table of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then my nameplate is there, this is all really true, if it's really, really true, it's the most important thing, forget the Super Bowl, it's the biggest, biggest thing, it's the biggest, biggest thing that ever, ever, ever could possibly happen If that is, if it's growing large in your heart. You begin to serve. You will. You'll begin to say, This is too good. How can I serve this king? And Paul says, This is all for your sakes, meaning all the difficulty we go through, we're not we're not wallowing in self-pity. We're not preoccupied with ourselves. We've it's all for you, meaning this grace is freeing us up. This resurrection hope is giving us power. This resurrection hope is freeing us up to serve it's a full life response head heart and hands to who god is and what he has done it's worship now that's what the rest of verse 15 is describing so that the grace that is reaching more and more people what will that grace do it will move toward look at the last verse part of verse 15 it may move people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of god that is worship. Paul is sustained to the resurrection and he has experienced forms of dying, near death experiences like the psalmist in Psalm 116. And now the praise, the worship of God is happening in the Apostle Paul's heart, and the overflow from Paul to the Corinthians is a paradigm, an example of the kind of thing that the heart now enraptured and savoring the beauty of this God who has given us resurrection in Jesus. This is the kind of thing that happens in our hearts. Remember how active the heart is. I would suspect that many, many, many of you are belief, interpretation, commitment. Belief, interpretation, commitment. It's moving. This is what God does. He moves in us, and we begin to move in commitments that we never thought were possible because you have power. Corinth in Acts 18. Man, there's a darkness in that place. And, and Paul is so nervous and seems to be scared that God gives him a special vision and says, you hang in there. There are many of my people in this place. Paul moved, of course didn't move perfectly, but moved in this power of the resurrected king. Paul was sustained, worshipped, And now we are called to do the same. Is your heart hop, skipping, jumping? I have been delivered from death. Think about it. Dwell on that. Dwell long on it. Work at it. You've been delivered from death. What would it be like to be delivered from death? This is the core of the Christian gospel. Jesus dying put death in its grave. He killed death by dying. If you want to get into that mystery, that's what he did. Death had its full grip on Jesus, and he really did die. And then he exhausted death's power over the Christian. Am I the only one? I feel lonely up here. Death. There's a poem called Mammogram. They're benign, the radiologist says. Pointing to the specks on the x ray that look like dust motes, motes, stopped cold in their dance. His words take my spine like flame. I suddenly love the radiologist, the nurse, my paper gown, the vapid print on the dressing room wall. I pull on my radiant clothes. I step out into the hanging gardens, the Taj Mahal, the Niagara Falls of the parking That's what it's like to escape death and all its consequences. Yes, our bodies do die, but in a moment, in a flash, we are before our glorious King. What we are witnessing in this text is the heart aflame with the news that Our resurrected king really is king. And he gives us power and freedom. And everything, even though it's a parking lot, looks spectacular. Let's pray. Father, deliver us from our petty, myopic, small concerns. Father, grant to us power and grace. Father, you love these people. I love these people. I ask that you would just give us, give us in the moments of our life, this way of understanding our status and identity. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.